Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m., held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with a city planner for the Upper North and Upper Northwest Districts of Philadelphia, Ian Hagerty, about the 2035 plan and how district plans impact developers. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com media. Ian serves the Upper North and Upper Northwest Philadelphia, including Germantown, Mount Airy, Chestnut Hill, East and West Oak Lane, Logan, and Olney. He is a community planner with Philadelphia City Planning Commission. Ian was the leader author, the lead author of the Philadelphia 2035 district plans for these neighborhoods. He's also led the revitalization of the corner bus stop plaza at Shelton Avenue and Green Street. Prior to joining PCPC, Ian was a community planner for the New York City Department of City Planning. So uh, it's my pleasure. Ian, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Derek. Thanks very much. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, th- again, thanks so much for joining us, and, and I'm hoping I can learn a lot about uh, the 2035 plan tonight and, and how it's going to affect everybody in this call. Um, so, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me tonight. Um, so, so let's just get right into it, and, and maybe there's some people in here who have never heard of the 2035 plan or they're thinking, why? what's that random number about? Um, maybe you can give me like the 30-second elevator pitch or just the, the quick rundown on what, what the plan is and what its goals are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, good evening, everybody. Um, Derek, thanks for the nice introduction. Um, Like Derek said, I work for the Philadelphia City Planning Commission, and one of our jobs uh, under the city charter is to prepare a comprehensive plan for the orderly growth of the city. And so that's what Philadelphia 2035 is. It's our um, um, updated plan for how the city is supposed to grow. It is made up of 18 district plans um, that get into the nitty gritty uh, of how that, uh, how the big ideas are supposed to be implemented. And um, it also has something called the citywide vision, which is sort of the lofty goals um, that we would like to see achieved as a city um, over the next 20 to 30 years. Um, 2035 is kind of a uh, a little bit of an arbitrary number. It was something that seemed kind of far away, I think, when they started doing it. When did it, now. when did it officially, like, the plans start to, to kind of come together? So it grew out of the um, efforts of the Zoning Code Commission, uh, which was a sort of a blue ribbon task force that was convened late in the street administration um, to uh, sort of revamp the way that the city dealt with zoning. And one of the one of the big uh, recommendations was that uh, the city should embark on a, a new comprehensive plan, and so um, 
that was, uh, I guess, 2010, 2011 is when the planning commission started taking it up in earnest. And our last district plan was adopted in 2018. Okay, so we're about like a decade into the process, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so, so yeah, kind of leads me to, well, where are we at in terms of the 2035 plan? Like we're 15 years away. <laughs> are we at like, are we on track, I guess, is my, my question? Or, you know, are we like, we have a lot more to go or are we making more progress than we thought? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's, a, it's an evolving document and it changes with the times. Um, so in that regard, there, there are some benchmarks in there, you know, that you can see like how, how far we've come and so on. Um, we've done a couple of updates just to kind of talk through what those are. And those, um, I should say, uh, all this, all, the best place to kind of get more information on this is phila2035.org. Um, it has, you know, the kind of research that went into it and things that we've done so far and accomplishments. Um, the thing that most people ask about is uh, the zoning map amendment. So we do regular updates. We've remapped, you know, many hundreds of acres of city land, but I think we've only made our way through about half of the land area that we recommended to be remapped. So that's something that we're continually working on. Um, we use the plan every day um, for making, mostly for helping our decision makers in city government, elected officials, people at the state level, people at the local level, people in city agencies, uh, how to allocate resources. Um, so we're, uh, you know, municipal government's always dealing with constraints. We always have tight limits on budgets. Um, the people demand that of city government. And so that's kind of one of the big benefits of having the plan is that in a world of limited resources, what be that grant dollars, capital funding, city revenues, what have you, that money is being spent in an efficient way. So, um, as an example, we are starting up right now with our capital budget planning process. That's another role of the planning commission. We propose what we spend money on um, in terms of city facilities each year. Um, and so the plan helps inform that because we know that XYZ um, facility in this neighborhood is falling apart and it's gonna need some major system upgrades. So we know we have to set money aside for it and so on. Right. Um, so uh, it's, it's always in play. Um, it's always being sort of picked apart and questioned and um, different elements of it come to light when different things are happening. Um, but the big thing is that it frames the discussion and it helps set up those discussions and to be a little more productive and to be a little more transparent to the voters and the residents and the taxpayers to kind of understand um, that, you know, some decisions might be arbitrary, but um, there's there's at least that backbone of kind of understanding what the issues are. Yeah, sure. And I'm sure you understand more than anybody. It's like equally as important to have a system of how you're going to spend the money as it is to gather that money. Um, you said there's limited resources, so there's probably already competition to get those resources. But then once you have them, you know, it's like it's no, no use if there's no plan, right? Exactly. Yeah. A good example of that is... Um, uh, grant funding. So, for example, the the state government, different arms of the state government offer grants for projects, uh, whether that's supporting affordable housing or uh, park facilities or transportation improvements. Um, 
applications that come in for those are required to come to us and, and um, receive a letter of plan conformance to show that what is being applied for in the grant, what the grant would fund is consistent with the comprehensive plan. So that's, right. that's one example of, you know, how, how that's the plan gets sort of applied and put to use. And that almost, that makes applying for grants easier because you already have like this baseline of, of goals that you're, you're putting towards it, right? For us too, yeah, because we, you know, I'm, I was speaking in terms of private applicants or other city agencies trying to looking looking for money from grant sources. But for us too, yeah, if we um, have a project that we would really like to see through to completion, but we know it's unlikely that someone else is not going to pick it up, then then we'll go for it. And and the plan really helps um, focus where we're, where we're paying attention for that kind of stuff. So, for example, we have gone after grants for um, the redesign of Broad Germantown and Erie, those plazas. We've been doing a lot of public engagement around that recently, but we were able to get a grant from an organization called Kaboom, which does outdoor play grants, um, because we identified that as sort of a major hub, a destination that needed some public investment, and we were able to go after that. The same thing with um, Cheltenham Green Plaza that I worked on in central Germantown. That was a grant from the uh, Federal Highway Administration for transportation improvements, um, and we we knew that 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 plaza was an important little asset and wasn't being kept up in a way and wasn't being stewarded by anyone. So we kind of jumped into that role. We don't really like to do capital projects. It's not an area where like we can do it, we can figure it out, but we don't have the the staff power in house in our, in our little agency to kind of really manage those projects because it's a lot of permitting and approvals and you know, boring stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but when there's a need, we'll, we'll jump in and do it. Cool. Great. It sounds like it's just kind of all about like legitimizing these projects and focusing effort towards it. Um, oh, getting stuff done. I mean, we're, yeah, we're in implementation phase now, right? So we're, the, the plan is written and it's out there. People, some people, you know, like parts of it, don't like other parts of it, but that's, you know, that's our job is to kind of get that discussion set up. But really, yeah, we're trying to push those recommendations forward whenever we see that opportunity, which isn't that often, but when we do, we go for it. Cool. Yeah. So, so you've mentioned a couple of times that how it's, that the plan is really ever evolving and it's not like a, a consistent, like this year, this happens, this year, this happens. Um, but you did say that there's a couple of benchmarks that you've achieved along the way. Can you just tell me a little bit about, about some of those benchmarks or, or milestones that you guys recognize? Yeah, so the, the zoning remapping is the big one. Um, and we, uh, if you if you want, I can, after after this is wrapped up, I can email you the latest sort of recap of that stuff. But yeah, we're um, on a sort of, I think quarterly basis, we put out a report that kind of says, you know, we've done this many acres, we've got this many acres left to go. Um, and then each, you can find on the Philadelphia 20, or sorry, the Phil 2035, webpage district updates for each district plan that walk through some of the um, focus area work that we've been doing, um, sort of like banner placemaking efforts that we've been able to get off the ground. Um, the Frankfurt Pause, which is a little plaza next to the uh, last stop on the Market Frankfurt L, the City Hall Plaza, um, planning for Fern Rock Station improvements that SEPTA st started to take underway and get serious about, you know, things that we've been able to put in motion as a result of the plan. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and, and 
like specifically in terms of Northwest Philly, that's, that's kind of your jurisdiction, right? That's where your efforts are focused. Yeah. So, so what sorts of things are happening in Northwest Philly or, or, or on the horizon? Um, some, some really interesting stuff. Um, I think one of the most sort of far reaching and interdisciplinary projects is the revamping of the, uh, Wissahickon transfer center. So, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, that's a major bus hub for the region. That's right on Ridge when you get to the bottom of the hill, right before you get to 76. And um, it's always been a little too cramped. SEPTA's always kind of had it in the back of their head that they wanted to expand that a little bit. Um, but there's so many different parts there. There's like uh, the, um, I can't remember what they're called, the Wissickin or the Schuylkill Canoe Club has um, a, a concession with the Parks Department in a building there. There's a planned bike trail that's going to cross on a new bridge over the Wissickin Creek and run behind that area. I was about to say, I, I know that intersection well because I, I bike through there. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I used to bike to work pretty regularly too. So, yeah, it's it's kind of nuts. And everyone's always kind of known that it's a bottleneck for traffic and bikes and people trying to get on and off the bus. So, um, because of some of the efforts, uh, give credit to my colleague, Matt Wysong, for getting, this, getting the ball rolling on this. We've been able to get all these people in the same room start acquiring land, getting the designs done for the bike trail and the bridge, lining up funds to actually build this stuff. And that's, you know, they're at the point now where they're doing final design on the new bus facility. That's going to be a major point because they're going uh, a major transfer point. Um, it is a major transfer point. Now it will be even more major because the direct bus uh, system that's, that's being installed on Roosevelt Boulevard, it's sort of like an express bus system its second phase will terminate at that stop. And so for people who are employed out, uh, especially out in the uh, Western suburbs at, at King of Prussia Mall and, and stuff out there, it'll be um, a really great, like just job connector place. They have all these people coming through. Um, and then they're gonna do a bunch of roadway improvements too and stuff. So that, that's, that's one cool project. Um, you probably, if you've been in central Germantown recently, you know we, we just um, opened up Maplewood Mall so that was a $3 million plus dollar project to renovate that from top to bottom and put in new, um, a whole new street basically in two new parks. That's really kind of a, um, uh, a, 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 a nice investment in a place um, that was, uh, had a lot of potential and, and we felt was really necessary to kind of like underpinned or uh, Germantown in general as, as a community gathering place, as a place for people to enjoy um, and as a way to support business um, that's that are in the area. So that's that was a big one. Um, I would say that um, the Logan Triangle, uh, which is also sort of in my geographic portfolio has been, um, you know, kind of a planning headache for a really long time, but it's uh, finally kind of breaking through the log jam. The um, redevelopment authority was able to sell that to a developer. We're looking at getting some new uses on that site after 20, 30 years of um, abandonment, um, hopefully bringing some economic benefits to the city. We worked really hard with them on design issues to make sure the things that are coming in are not um, going to conflict with the existing uses that are there. But I think everyone's kind of looking forward to seeing um, that land getting put to productive use instead of um, lying fallow. Um, and I don't know, 
those those are a few that come to the top of my head. I'm sure there's more. more one I'd like to ask about. Uh, one I'd like to ask about is is Wayne Junction because I was on your website uh, earlier, which, which you can see uh, I put in the chat for everybody. Um, it's phila2035.org. Um, a great website. It, it really breaks everything down in an organized manner. Um, so if you, you're kind of getting lost by what we're talking about, you can go there and that'll direct your, your attention. Um, but, but yeah, I, I did see that Wayne Junction was under the upper Northwest section, um, I, but I didn't really look into to what sorts of plans were there. Um, but I am interested because that's something that Jumpstart Germantown is kind of directing focus towards um, development in that area. So, so what, do you, what plans do you guys have for that area? I, I know that's kind of a hot spot uh, for, for development right now. Yeah. Um, so in the district plan process um, that came to the top as, um, as a place that we picked as a focus area. So each of the district plans have one or two or sometimes three focus areas or focus topics where we go into a little bit more detail with traditional um, site planning, you know, get, getting zooming in because a lot of our districts, they're, you know, 10, 12 square miles. You don't really get the opportunity to do um, site planning work in them. So that's why we sort of created those sections of the plan. So in the Upper Northwest plan, we have Central Germantown and, and Wayne Junction. And in Wayne Junction, um, I think that a lot of the stuff we heard from people in the community was, you know, really like trying to reinforce the, um, the quality single family housing that we have um, around the area really like safety and cleanliness, like that's kind of the baseline. So trying to set up mechanisms to make sure that those things can be fulfilled um, effectively for the neighbors and for the businesses that are operating there. Capitalizing on the SEPTA station um, is huge there. I think like uh, a lot of people think of regional rail as, as like sort of a suburban commuter system um, and so because of the fare structure, it doesn't have quite the appeal that it would if it, if, uh, if it was more, if it operated more like transit, but it, in this location, it, it is a place where you can kind of just walk up to the platform and expect a train to show up within the next 15 minutes or so. So it is, it's useful as transit. And so being able to build off that and get some housing into the area, I think is an important part of it. Um, and you already see that happen. I mean, obviously with some of the stuff Ken's been working on there, it's, it, that makes a big deal. I know Mosaic partners have um, put some money into the area too. And um, in addition to that, there's uh, a lot of small investors that are rehabbing um, some of the homes and doing smaller developments um, on infill in the area. I think one of the big challenges is preserving the quality housing stock that's there. Um, a lot of the stuff that was built there was built really nicely and in, in a grand style that harkens back to the days when it was sort of an industrial um, hub for the region and, and the people that owned the factories lived up on the hill. Um, and we're losing a lot of that housing stock. And so that's something that we, we wanted to be, you know, sort of cognizant of and wary of is the fact that, you know, we shouldn't be, uh, we should be, we should be treasuring the, the, the resources that are there. Um, and then some improvements to some of the open spaces and ways to connect them to each other were also proposed in there. Um, and that uh, that kind of sums it up. But yeah, we did a nice couple, like a three page spread on on that area in, in the Upper Northwest District Plan. It's sort of about three quarters of the way through the book if you guys want to check it out. 
If you're just tuning in, this is an interview with city planner for the Upper North and Upper Northwest Districts of Philadelphia, Ian Haggerty, about the Philadelphia 2035 plan and how district plans impact developers. Thanks for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying our discussion. Cool. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple things there that I want to touch on before we move on. Um, the, well, the first is you said that one of the baseline focuses is sanitation and kind of health and safety in the area. What are some of the ways that the plan kind of plans to, to do that or address those issues? Um, does it get that nitty gritty with like um, specifically in that area? What, what sorts of things can improve it? I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, our recommendations are limited mostly to physical um, changes and changes to zoning policy. But um I know in some cases, uh, for example, at Broad and Alney, where we also had a focus area, one of the prime recommendations was to reinstate a um, a special services district or a bid for that area because there 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 have been attempts to set one up a few times and there was one sort of functioning for a little while in the early 90s, but um, it uh, it, it's mostly fallen apart and, or, or there hasn't been the resources there to do that. So sometimes we'll, we will make that recommendation. I don't think we did that specifically in Wayne Junction. Um, although I don't think it's a bad idea. I think that, um, those basic quality of life issues are the underpinning of success for a neighborhood anywhere. Um, you know, being able to have dignity, um, about a place feeling feeling good um, is is sort of like job one. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, our, our job can be frustrating at times because we don't really have a lot of control over a lot of things that, that play into that. So, so what ways, you know, you don't, you know, you said you're limited to physical barrier changes and every, and, and that's kind of like your, your main force that you can use to, to encourage change. Like how can a zoning change you know, improve the quality of life in the area. Like, I just kind of, or maybe you can provide an example because um, it might be hard to connect the dots there, but it's because it, a lot of people think of zoning as just that thing that they have to Google on the website to find out what <laughs> they're allowed to right, do. Yeah. Um, but, but how can that actually change that? Like you said, the sanitation or the quality of life on a street? Yeah, no, it's, it, it, I, I won't say that it can, I don't pretend that it can. I mean, I think, I think one of the, one of the um, issues with my profession uh, has been a sort of hubris about, um, determinism, physical determinism. So like, if you encourage new buildings, you'll be able to, you know, just sort of rising tide, lift all boats, kind of improve a neighborhood. And I, and that's that, you know, we know that that's not really the way it works. I, I think you have to start with, um, making sure that people in other branches in government and elected officials are focusing on um, quality of life improvements in, in a neighborhood um, because you don't, you don't want to just um, encourage redevelopment that pushes everybody out and just starts with a clean slate with, with a whole new set of people. I think that, um, you know, one of the big goals of my agency and, and my profession now in general is talking about inclusive growth. That's kind of like a buzzword right now. So figuring out ways to um, revitalize, encourage investment, bring bring dollars in, bring housing in, 
in a way that um, meshes with what's there already and, and kind of makes the people that live there have a stake in that neighborhood for whatever reason, feel like they're part of it. Um, so like inclusionary housing is a good example, like mandating that big, big new residential development set aside either some money or some housing units for um, people that are on limited incomes. Um, making sure that you have a mix of housing types that you're able to build so that you're not pigeonholing an area for just student housing um, or just SROs or, or what have you. Um, those are, those are, you know, indirect levers, but I think, you know, you, you try not to make that problem any worse than, than it needs to be um, with, with some of those tools. Sure. Cool. Well, well, thanks so much, Ian. That, that was a great answer. Um, and, and I'm everybody in this call, you know, um, they're probably from Germantown or the surrounding area. And um, it's good to hear that, you know, there's specific sections of the plan that are directed towards um, that area. Um, and, and just one more thing before we move on from Wayne Junction, uh, you mentioned that a key factor in that area is um, stabilizing the single family home and, and kind of like making that the centerpiece um, of why it would be good to invest in that neighborhood. Um, so you're on call with 46 uh, single family home developers. Um, so, so maybe you can kind of just give them some sneak peeks or if there is any like sort of framework of how they can utilize parts of the plan or how the plan can utilize or, or benefit them. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a narrative that's sort of common that zoning is a, is kind of like a hoop to jump through um, where you know, the city's approach to development is disjointed. None of the zoning on the ground makes sense. Any significant project's gonna require a variance or, or a zoning map change. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think as we work our way through zoning map amendments, my hope is that we can kind of challenge that neighborhood with that, that narrative um, with just sensible and consistent policies. So one of the things that, um, I really like about the Upper Northwest District Plan is that it has this like explicit growth strategy, right? It says, you know, we, we're going to encourage upzoning, redevelopment, you know, multifamily housing, but in these areas where we know the infrastructure can support it, where we know the transportation network is robust enough to handle it, um, and where we know those new residents will be driving business to the local businesses that are there already and where it can be accommodated, you know? Um, and, uh, it's, it's the first time that in, um, I don't know, probably since the forties or fifties where someone's looked at a whole, the whole area, all Germantown, and I mean, greater Germantown, Monterey, Chestnut Hill too, and looked at what the what the zoning means from a holistic standpoint instead of doing these little piecemeal changes to that are like based on one project or another so there's so many there's so many little layers of zoning changes that have happened over the years and one of the things we want to do is kind of you know it's not wiping the slate clean because the ideas are still the same you know you have some business areas you have some house some home areas and and you know a, a lot of things that are mixed but you're doing it in a rational way that's going to allow people to do rational things by right, things that aren't going to really um, ruffle a lot of feathers. You'll, you want to allow that to happen by right. Um, but at the same time, you want to kind of tighten up the zoning map in general so that when people do come in for variances, they're, um, they're coming up against a real plan. 
and they can't say to the zoning board, you know what, the, none of this zoning makes any sense at all. So I just, I'm, I need this variance because I got to get my project done. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. And I know, and you know, if you're working with single family homes, you're not going to run into that issue as often. Um, but there's still all kinds of weird, you know, stories with all these buildings and um, a lot of different layers of history and uses that have been in them. And there used to be a store in the basement and now it's a, you know, somebody's illegal apartment and you got to get that fixed order. We're trying to just make it, you know, at least a little bit rational, right? Um, more density near the avenue and the train stations, less density as you get farther away and get towards the woods. Um, and I, my hope is that it makes, it makes everyone sort of be able to predict the kind of growth that's going to happen, um, have an easier time pulling permits and, and do, doing development that makes sense within the context of that plan and have a harder time doing developments that are gonna um, cause cause issues for people. Right, yeah, and, and I think the best way to do that is, you said it yourself, is kind of um, have something that's ever evolving and always changing and always being updated and constantly look at you know what's working and what's not working. And that sounds kind of what the focus of the 2035 plan is, is to just be, be realistic and rational. I like that word, rational. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess everyone, maybe that's sort of a loaded term, uh, <laughs> But I, I, there, there, I mean it literally in the sense that there is a written rationale for the, for the zoning recommendations that we have and for all, all the recommendations that we have. We've explained at least what we were thinking. So if you have an issue with it, we can talk about it instead of just, you know, um, showing up at the last minute and, and complaining about it. So, you know, we've, we've um, rezoned a lot of parts of Mount Airy, including the central business area of Mount Airy. Um, Belfield and Ogontz over by LaSalle University um, have been rezoned according to this plan. The area around uh, Cliveton Park, we've also done. All of them have included a mix of um, changes, some of them being allowing greater buy right development potential, others being constricting it more. So just trying to get, like, you know, like I said, get, get, make things more predictable. Cool. Great. Thanks, Ian. Um, so I, I have a couple questions left, but real quick, I just wanted to remind everybody that we're going to have a live Q&A in about 10 minutes, um, depending on how many more questions come in. We've already gotten quite a few. Um, so, so you can submit those. You just click the Q&A bubble and, and type them in, and we'll get to them in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I think now we can kind of move to the, the broader picture more. We, we focused on Germantown and, and you know what sorts of things are happening there. Um, in terms, you know, the, the plan as a whole, um, like how can de developers use the plan? I know you, you said that it kind of makes it easier to, to um, or it, it makes when you need a zoning variance, it's like for a real reason or like a substantial project. You yeah. know, what, what, so maybe you can just tell me a little bit about how like a developer could actually use it, you know, what, what sorts of things yeah. they're gonna reference and, and that, that, that sort so of thing. There's, yeah, there's two things I would say, I mean, um, you should uh, definitely talk to the district planner for the area that you're working in if you have an idea about a project, um, per particularly, if, particularly if you think it's going to require some sort of zoning entitlement. Um, how can people, how can people uh, find out who their district developer is? Oh, yeah, good call. Um, they can uh, actually go to that website and there's for, for each of the district pages, there's like a... Um, a link that sends an email to the assigned planner. So you can type a question and it will, it will email it to them. I think up on our uh, .gov website too, phil.gov 
slash um, city planning, we have a map of the city with uh, planners' names on it. Um, and uh, if you follow up with me after this, I can email you the direct link so you can get that out to the participants. Cool. Yeah. Um, so um, that that saves you. I know. I know everyone doesn't want to read like these hundred page documents from cover to cover. Um, that'll that'll save you the trouble. But but if you are curious, um, in in the um, the, the final section of each of these um, district plans, there's this, it's called making it happen. Um, and there's a map that shows our proposed zoning changes. So if you're doing a project in an area um, and you're interested in, in doing something, you, you, wanna, you wanna see like, hey, um, maybe there's a zoning map change that's coming down the pipe um, that will affect your ability to do the project, either good or bad. So that's something you just want to kind of be, be aware of. There's the zoning map, which is the adopted map of the city of Philadelphia. That's what LNI looks at. That's what you're going to get your permits under. That's, that's the law, but there are proposed changes, which is sort of this gray area where if somebody proposes something that wouldn't be allowed in the existing zoning, but then would be allowed in the proposed zoning, we're not going to come out as the planning commission and fight that in front of the zoning board. Um, and it's also, it also gives you another avenue to pursue if you're interested in getting that lumped into a zoning bill, then it might be uh, an opportune time to ask for that. You never know. Um, you know, that's not something we see happen too often, but getting a zoning bill, in other words, city council adopts the zoning change that you want to see for that area um, could be possible. And then the other thing is like at the end of each of the recommendation sections of the plan, we call them thrive, connect and renew. Thrive being economic development and housing, connect being utilities and transportation and renew being parks and open space. Um, there are, you know, just specific recommendations about um, public facilities, about policies, about um, sort of, uh, possible improvements that you might be seeing coming uh, on the public side in the area. So that's another place to sort of look and see um, if you're considering, you know, if you're thinking more long-term about holding property, um, developing property, being strategic about buying property now, it's a way to look and see, you know, at least the planning commission is saying like, it's a good idea for us to do some kind of public improvement here, whether that's a court, a streetscape project, corridor project for a commercial area, uh, an upgrade to a park or something like that. You can find that kind of information in, in the district plan. So that's, that's a couple of examples. Cool. Yeah. And you just from the developer's perspectives, can you give me some examples of like how a proposed zoning could change could affect you? Um, you know, I'm sure if somebody's run into it, they have, they know, but maybe you can give me like, like, is there like an example of a, how a zoning change can positively influence your project? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, you know, if we're when we're when we're doing zoning recommendations, we're oftentimes looking for um, two two types of changes. One one is zoning to advance the plan, which means it has some kind of element in it that um, furthers a goal of the plan. And then there's also changes that are purely corrective. Um, and so in other words, we want to remap an area that's uh, one type of building so that the zoning matches that type of building so that in the case when properties become redeveloped, what comes in is substantially similar to what's there already. Um, so, um, we, you know, we're, we're looking for places 
where housing can be built in the Northwest for sure. Um, multifamily housing specifically. I know that, um, you know, like that, that, that's something that's a challenge for us is kind of explaining why that's important to, to a general audience. Um, but the, the, the short answer is that a lot of people want um, to live in apartments, especially small apartments, mm -hmm. and there aren't a lot of them. And so what they're doing instead is renting bigger apartments and renting houses. Right. And the, the total market is becoming constrained. Um, in a, and what happens when markets get constrained, prices go up, right? So we're in a situation now where um, if, we're, if we're not proactive about making sure that there are places to build housing, then that's just going to, that's just issue is going to keep getting worse and people are going to continue to get priced out. Um, so when we will occasionally have a zoning map recommendation to a residential multifamily district or a commercial mixed use district, which allows multifamily housing in areas that aren't zoned for that now. So cool. um, if you are looking to do, you know, a project on a corridor in your train station or on a, a major um, arterial road or something like that, that's something that you might find by looking in the, in the proposed zoning. The other big thing is that there are in Philadelphia, you know, um, we love we love us some row houses. And so there's, um, you know, big swaths of the city that are built as single family, two story rows. Um, in, the, in my areas, they're oftentimes, you know, um, it, it runs the gamut from the really old worker housing in Germantown to like the porch front kind of rows that were built in the 20s and 30s. Um, and a lot of them were zoned to be multifamily RM1 during um, the 1950s and 60s. That was a common trend to kind of re rezone those areas. Um, when they created the single family zoning district, um, a lot of areas were left out if they didn't have the political clout to ask for that zoning too. And so that's another kind of bit of backstory there. So we have a lot of areas where the houses are when you, when you cut them up, the apartments get real small. Um, and there's also a prevailing sentiment among the people that live there that they'd rather see single family houses. And so that's a, you know, if, if there's not a compelling reason, like it's near some area where we want to be directing growth um, or an area where we know there's like some kind of huge housing shortage or something like that, then we're going to recommend corrective zoning to RSA five to, to, to our row house district. And so that's the place where you can get caught up if you're thinking about doing a two family conversion or something like that. And then a zoning bill is moving through the pipeline and you're not aware of it. I know we've done a couple of those um, in the Northwest. We've done, like I mentioned the one around Clydon park, that was an area where we, um, it was a mixture of different things, but one of the things was like on those side streets, bringing that to RSA five, which was, which made total sense. Um, same thing around LaSalle University. We had a lot of um, investors that were doing kind of real quick and dirty um, carve ups of some of those old buildings. And it was not, it was not the kind of investment that was helping the neighborhood. Um, and, and so people were real up in arms about that. So we were able to put RSA five zoning out there too. So that's a, that's something to look out for. Cool. Great. Um, yeah, all right. So before we move on to Q&A here, just one last big picture question, um, kind of about the plan as a whole. Uh, what still needs to happen? You know, you've mentioned a couple things that are in the pipeline, but um, maybe, you know, in 10 years, what are we going to be looking at? Like what sorts of changes are going to be made and, and 
uh, what, what still yeah. needs to be done? Yeah. So um, zoning map amendments, you know, we're going to be working our way through those um, that there, whenever we're, when it's done by legislation, right? So it goes through the normal legislative process. The bill is introduced, it's referred to committee, it's voted, it's signed by the mayor. Our role is to prepare the legislation. We often request zoning map amendments um, to sort of further the plan, like I was saying, um, but we always hold a public meeting um, before we uh, hand that off to the council person because um, a lot of times we, there are little changes that people want, you know, like, you know, I don't, it, somebody will come with some very specific issue about um, how they how they want to see the property next to theirs built, or there's a community group that gets involved or whatever. And so we often refine those and tweak those as they go forward. Um, each year we do our six year capital program uh, to prioritize expenditures on city facilities. So that's an ongoing thing. And then really the next thing is the next comprehensive plan. So we, we you know, we didn't do, um, a comprehensive plan between 1960 and 2011, right? So um, there, there was like a 50 year gap there, but um, I think um, the overall idea that development is something we can talk about and plan for in broad terms instead of on a project by project basis is one of the biggest benefits of going through the 2035 process. Um, it's uh, allowed the planning commission to sort of find its bearings and reorient from um, thinking about decline to thinking about growth. It opened the process of planning to the public on a larger scale than has ever been done before. And it's really, you know, it's unlocked millions of dollars in grant funding for public and private entities. Um, so we're looking, we're looking forward to the next comprehensive plan with a lot of enthusiasm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the themes are gonna be much different next time around. And I think that we are going to try and make it a lot more concise next time around so that it's more easily digestible by a broader audience. And then, um, you know, get that, get, get the public participation ramped up even to a higher level. Um, but yeah, definitely look for that within uh, the coming in, in 2021, look for some announcements about the, the next comprehensive plan. That concludes my conversation with city planner Ian Hagerty about the Philadelphia 2035 plan and how district plans impact developers. I hope you learned a little bit more about positive real estate development. Next week, we'll be speaking with Brett Madsen, who is the founder of Permit Philly, about what to do when you find yourself needing a permit. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org to see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week.